it's so good to be with you all. I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to open up your St. John app to follow us along in sermon notes. Those are there for you every week uh, to follow along. We hope you're finding those beneficial. We are continuing our series on majoring in the minors. It has been so cool to dig into these minor prophets, to hear what they've been telling us, even though it was thousands of years ago, that they're still speaking truth to us today. And today, friends, the hammer is being brought. I've been looking for a long time to use this. You have no idea, and I'm going to use it several times. We are digging into only three chapters of Nahum. You probably know him better as Nahum. That's what I've always called him, but if you would, say it with me. Nahum. Yeah, he even has that little cool spit that the Hebrews have in some of their words. I promise I won't be saying it like that every time to spit on you. But while it's only three chapters, it is three chapters that is very, very hard to hear. It talks about God's judgment, about his wrath, about his anger. And it is so tough. It is such a hard read that all throughout the ages, there's been folks that have wanted to actually remove it from the Bible altogether and just take it out. It's actually referred to as the hymn of hate, the hymn of hate. And it centers on the Ninevites, which we talked about, right? Tom set the stage for us very well. Talks about the Ninevites in Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so we know from last week that Jonah went into Nineveh and preached a very brief but powerful sermon and told them, if you don't repent in 40 days, you'll be destroyed. Pop quiz, what did the Ninevites do when Jonah preached that sermon? They repented. Oh, you guys all get gold stars. They repented, right, which was great news. It's always good news whenever souls are restored back to God. But friends, the repentance did not last. They went back to their old ways. They started worshiping other idols. And not only did they start doing that, but they expanded their empire. It was huge. They had taken over the northern kingdom. The Israelites that lived there had to bow down to other idols because they could not worship the one true God. But not only did the Israelites have to do that, but they were enslaved. They were tortured. They were brutally murdered. The Assyrian empire was quite an evil one, friends, quite an evil one. And not only were they in the northern kingdom, but they had actually started leaking down into the southern kingdom of Judah and started to oppress them as well. Now, if you take a look at this map, this timeline up here, you'll see that when Jonah went into Nineveh and told them, you need to repent, and they did, and when Nahum comes along and says, hey, the Assyrian Empire is finally going to fall, that was over a 100 years for over a century, after the Ninevites had repented but fallen back into their old ways, the Israelites suffered under their reign. And not only the Israelites, but everybody. The Assyrian Empire was massive. And it makes us think, why did God wait so long? Why did he wait so long to destroy this evil empire? But along comes Nahum with this message that it's going to happen, this doom and gloom message, and the best way it can be depicted is in this picture, and if you know what's going on, then that's great. <laughs> it is kind of crazy, isn't it? It's dark, it's stormy, and that's exactly what the destruction was. In chapter 2 of Nahum, he talks about specifically how the capital of Nineveh will fall. It will be bloody, it's going to be brutal, it will be rough, and then in chapter 3, the whole empire will fall. 
all of Assyria will be taken down. It's going to happen. So I encourage you, just three chapters, and as you can tell, a delightful read. You should definitely go and read these chapters. They're really, really good. But to sum up the destruction of God's vengeance is God doesn't just destroy evil. He exposes it. He exposes it so that justice is revealed and hope is restored. Yes, Nahum is a tough read. It's going to be a struggle to digest, but it's a book that restores hope. The Israelites had been oppressed for over a century, and finally they were being told that God was going to free them, was going to wipe out this evil so that they could live freely again and worship their one true God. Let's be honest. The Jews hated the Assyrians. They hated their ways. Tom mentioned last week there was no love loss between those two groups of people. And so did God. God hated the ways of the Assyrian Empire. He hated the evil and the sin that they were inflicting upon one another. That's why this book is called The Hymn of Hate. It was time for vengeance. So let's dig into this word from Nahum verses, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Just hear the word of God today. It's a good one. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and rages against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the bloom of Lebanon fades. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who live in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and by him the rocks are broken in pieces. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him, even in a rushing flood. He will make a full end of his adversaries and will pursue his enemies into the darkness. That's just chapter 1. So, we know when we read the Bible that repetition is important, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, when Jesus told his stories and he said things over and over again, it was because it was very important. And there's a lot of repetition with this word vengeance and how vengeance is used three times in verse 2. It tells us that God is a vengeful God. Now, we like to think from a vengeance standpoint that that's more of the revenge type. We want to take people out who have hurt us or done something wrong to us or they need to be punished. But that is not God's vengeance because God is perfect. When his judgment comes down, it is perfect. It is righteous. It is lawful. And that is what this vengeance is about. God's perception, the perfect perception of what is wrong, what is evil, what is not righteous. And the tense that this vengeance is used in is continuous, which means God is always seeking vengeance. It's his true nature. It's what he does. He fights for justice. He needs justice in the world to make the world as it should be. And so he will always, always be fighting for justice. That is where his vengeance come from. Now, in some versions you may read, 
you'll read where it actually says Nineveh, where in this version it said adversaries. The original Hebrew context was just adversaries. It left it very general, and I think that's important because it's telling us even today that God will destroy all evil in all generations to come. While we know this book is specifically about Nineveh, God will restore. He will free the oppressed. He will take care of his people. It breaks his heart to see humanity choosing evil and inflicting hurt and pain against humanity. It, It breaks his heart. He loves us and he knows there is a better way and it's his way. It's important, while a complex dichotomy, to try to understand his love for us while also understanding his detest for sin and evil. And so to begin that conversation, we talk about this right here. The Lord is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. He was obviously with the Ninevites over a century. He allowed them the space. They knew that he needed to repent. They needed to repent. Jonah told them they did. They knew. But they kept choosing the evil over God. And we even know from last week that God was frustrated with Jonah because Jonah was mad about the Ninevites repenting. He said, you care more about that broom tree than you do these 120,000 souls. He was frustrated with Jonah because Jonah wasn't slow to anger. He went straight to punishment. I wonder how often we practice being slow to anger with ourselves, with others, which better put is being patient, gracious, and loving. In this world that seems to be so full of hate right now, man, it's so thick out there. You can cut it with a knife, and it's quick. You can go from, man, I really love them, to, oh my gosh, I want to punch them in the throat. Like, it is just so quick, the road rage, the frustration, the truth that we cannot have a conversation with one another if we disagree. There is so much hate, so much disgust, so much anger towards one another. And in direct relationship with that is judgment. Judgment. Told you the hammer was being brought today. This was a tough one. It is a tough one. It's tough when we think about this characteristic of God, this hardness that he holds us to, this truth that we live in, that he is just, and he longs for us to be just as well. God waited over a century to bring his wrath upon Nineveh. They were evil. They worshiped anything and everything other than God. But we never, ever do that, right? Never. We never put ourselves above God. We never let things take over our love for God. We never allow bias or our dislike for someone or something, right, to overcome how we should love them and how we probably do love them. We never get frustrated because someone who has hurt us, someone who does something that we perceive as wrong, just has it made. When is God going to give it to them? When are they going to get what's coming to them? I'm sure we've never said karma is going to get them. We never use that word, right? 
Friends, karma, revenge, that feeling that we have of people paying, people, you know, who have it easy that don't need to have it easy because they're living wrong. That's not God. That's not God. So we're going to take an opportunity this morning to expose some of that. We're going to do an exercise. You're going to see a screen. It's going to be black, and you're going to see a word. There's going to be a lot of words. It's going to be an overwhelming amount of words, so just get ready. But I want us to take a moment to allow God to expose a group of people, multiple groups of people that we seem to struggle with. Notice your body. It's going to be totally quiet in here. No, no music, no nothing, just words and God. So God can come in. When you feel your body get tense, when you feel a part of your body very uncomfortable, that's your body letting you know that there's something there. You need to let God in. And be curious. Don't be critical. Don't judge yourselves. That's what we're talking about, right? There's no judgment for ourselves. We allow God to do that. But we have to allow God to expose the ways that we are putting ourselves on the throne and being the judge and not allowing him to do it. So let's take this time. I realize sometimes I put you on the spot and I have you yell out your answer. <laughs> I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> this is something personal. This is something between us and God. And I'll tell you, this was hard for me to do. In the back of my mind, I was like, oh, if I put that group up there, that identifier, that label, then they'll think I have a problem with it and they'll judge me. <laughs> I mean, we're always in our heads, right, judging about these labels. And there's a lot of things up here. This isn't exhaustive. If there was anything, if there was nothing up here that didn't click with you, there will be something. Got to dig a little deeper for that. There is always going to be bias. There is always going to be hurt or dislike towards something because we're human. But think about how this was for you. It should have been uncomfortable. It should have been hard. It's always hard when we ask God to expose the pieces of us that show that we're missing the mark. 
It's always hard to ask God to come in and show us where we're trying to be God, where we're trying to be the judge and not allowing God to be the judge. If there's anything that Nahum teaches us, it's that we are all in the same boat. We all need to be thankful that God is slow to anger. Because at the end of the day, no matter the groups of people, no matter what them could be, no matter how the world is divided or who politically is running the show, there is one truth of all of us. Say that with me. We are all sinners. We are all on the same playing field. All of us. When God looks at us individually, he loves each one of us the exact same. No matter what our perceived notion of sin or right or wrong or whatever it could be is, we are all equal. And that's the hammer, friends. The truth that while the Ninevites deserved the judgment and the destruction that they received, we do too. We do too. But there's good news. God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us with just the hammer. gives us the cross. gives us the cross where God sent his son to pay our debt, to pay the cost that we owe because of the evil that resides within us, the sin that we struggle with each and every day. This is where God's love is revealed, a love that loves us, a love that is slow to anger with us. A love that gives us as much forgiveness as we need, which is a lot, friends. Every day, over and over and over again, we need his forgiveness. A love that meets us in the depths of that sin and pulls us out to assure that he has won the victory and we are free in his love. He overcomes the evil, the sin that is in us because he has sent his Holy Spirit to help us choose good over the evil. He takes the harshness of our soul and turns it into a wonderful, beautiful redemption story. A story that he calls for each and every one of us to share. We are his church, and, but we live in a world that has chosen everything and anything over God. And sometimes we all feel hopeless, wondering where God is. How can he let these things go on and on and on? Come, Lord Jesus, come. We've all prayed it. I've prayed it. It's okay to pray that. What a glorious day that will be when he does return. And the Israelites had to feel that way too. God, why are you letting this happen? But we have to remember something about the Israelites too. They had turned their back on God. They had sinned against God. They had worshipped other things other than God over and over and over again. 
And God, being slow to anger, he gave them chance after chance. But then he had to turn them over to their enemies. But even knowing that God keeps his promises, even knowing that God would never leave them, they still lost hope. They still chose to not believe that he wasn't there, that he wasn't going to save them. And we do the same thing. In Romans 2, 1 through 4, we read this. Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet you do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and what, friends? Patience. Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, not just them? If Ashley had to finish Paul's thought, that's what I would throw in there. We think it's for them. It's not for us. We don't need that. We're okay. But we're not, friends. When bad things happen, do we believe that while God may have finally reached his anger point with us, that he still loves us, that he hasn't left us, that he hasn't forsaken us? Do we take responsibility for what we could be doing that's causing him anger? Or do we blame everybody else? Are we God's people? Or are we being as the world is? Hateful, whining, complaining, ungrateful? How do we expect the world to know God's love and mercy if we aren't showing it? God has called us to be the church. God has called us to be the light in this world, to proclaim the cross and the hammer. They work together. Though that is hard to understand and to grasp. You see, Nahum is a book that celebrates the victory of God over an evil oppressor. And we live in that truth every day that God has won the victory over sin and will continue to be the victor every day. And not only our sin, but everybody's sin. That's a hard one to wrap our head around. I can think of people in my brain that there's no way God loves. There's no way God can love that person. They are so evil and mean. How can God love them? But they do. He does. And he loves me the same. And when I look at my stuff, I go, okay, thanks for giving me that humble pie. Because I need your love as desperately as they do. When we truly love God, we live that out loud even when we are suffering, even when we may be blaming him for what's going on in our lives. But we await God's time. We allow him to be the judge, and we trust his judgment. We live our lives knowing and believing his sovereignty. Oh yeah, God brings the hammer, but he also gives us the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has paid the debt that we owe. 
We thank you that you bring the hammer to reveal to us, God, where we have let you down, where we continue to let you down. God, strengthen us now. Bring us out of that guilt that we feel. Pull us out of that shame. Help us to live in the victory. Help us to proclaim your name in that place of darkness. Be that light for us, God, so that we can go out into this world and be the light for you. God, we thank you and we praise you. Where would we be without your love? It's unimaginable. But you don't leave us. You never leave us. You always are just one breath away. One turn of our heart away, one thought away to provide us forgiveness and redemption and freedom and love and grace and mercy. God, help us to be those people that practice those things for ourselves and for others so that when you bring the hammer, the love is felt also. And it's an easy decision. God, we thank you and praise you. And in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.